0: Welcome to the God Story radio broadcast with Chaplain Lynn. Thank you, Brother Ron. This is Chaplain Lynn. God's Story is a ministry outreach about our great, caring God, being seen in and throughout his people's lives. Many say, Does God care about me? Does He see what I'm going through? Does He know me personally? God's story tells of His great love for people like you and me. The greatest demonstration of His love is His precious Son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross of Calvary for our sins. The veil between God and mankind has been torn open. Be encouraged as you listen to today's testimony or sermon from a changed life now filled with a passionate love for Jesus Christ hallelujah welcome friends to our radio broadcast today we are privileged to listen to Massey Campost from Port St Lucie Florida Massey would like to share with us about the importance of the gospel and how it affects society Take it away, Massey. Yeah, I would
1: love to. Thank you for having me, by the way, uh, Lynn. And so we're going to talk about this morning, what is the role of the gospel uh, in society and how does it affect every sphere of life from uh, you know schools, from our families, from our businesses to government? And I think that is the one topic that is never talked about is government, uh, regardless of the fact that there's so many chapters that talk about godly government. You know, Lynn, we have so many books written right now about family and how to keep a godly family or a godly business or... Uh, keeping a godly church, how to be a godly man. But we never talk about, rarely, I should say, do we talk about a godly government. And I believe Christianity can influence every sphere of life. Um, and uh, Supreme Court Justice Joseph Story, is one of our first ones, uh, wrote in a speech. Uh, he said in a speech in 1829, he said, I verily believe Christianity necessary to support of civil, to the support of civil society. He said, one of the beautiful boasts of our municipal jurisprudence is that Christianity is a part of the common law. There never has been a period in which common law did not recognize Christianity as its lying foundations. He said that in 1829, and he was, again, one of our first uh, uh, Supreme Court justices. And I want to also read a court case here just real quick. I have it. uh, I must have I went too far. I have a quote here from the Supreme Court uh, from a court case that just blew my mind when I read it. Oh, I guess I don't have it, but I'm going to continue. We're going to talk about divine providence and why. Christianity or the gospel is so important. And, and and let me ask you, Lynn, if you didn't have Jesus, let's say you were just caught up in darkness and you didn't have Jesus. And I told you, you know what? You're going to have all this freedom. You can say what you want, do what you want. And I, I say, okay, now you have the freedom of speech, but you don't have any morality in your life. You're just... Yes, you're serving yourself. What would you do with the freedom of speech? Do you think?
0: What would I would do with the freedom of speech? If if you gave me all the freedom, yeah, I'd probably cast off my immorality <laughs> and, and want to go for the whole freedom.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and most people, especially young people today, we see that. Um, these young people, they'll take that freedom of speech and really turn it to the negative. So you see now the public press, right, and, and all these things, they'll slander people for no reason. And now the big term that they use is allegedly. So you, they can they can file a, a something against you and say he allegedly, allegedly did it, whether you did it or not. That word allegedly uh, has been thrown around, and that stays with you for the rest of your life. And one of the issues I have with that is, you know, if a Christian was a Christian I know that Ephesians 4 tells me that I will let no corrupt communication proceed out of my mouth. The importance of the gospel and our rights that God gives us is is a direct correlation. And our founders really said a lot of that stuff. Did Did you know that on your Ohio State Capitol building, there's this crest and you can see a picture of it. I have it right in front of me. And this is actually on the floor of the Ohio State Capitol. It says, with God, all things are possible. Most people don't know that. It's like they didn't get that from an atheist book. They got it from Scripture, you know. Praise the Lord. And so I want to talk about uh, something that uh, uh, one of our founders, he's Daniel Webster. He said this. Um, he was he was uh, one of the greatest statesmen and orators that we ever had, and his cousin was Noah Webster. You ever heard of Webster's Dictionary? Yes. Yeah, so he wrote one in 1828, and I have a couple of copies of that. But this is uh, what Daniel Webster said. He said, the Bible is a book of faith, and he's one of our founders, and the book of doctrine, a book of morals, a book of religion, and a book of special revelation from God. But it is also a book which teaches man his own individual responsibility. And the one thing that Christianity teaches us is that you're going to stand before God one day for yourself on your own. You can't blame anybody else for your sins because the Bible says that he provides a way of escape when we're tempted. So we have this individual personal self-government that God already instilled in us once we become illuminated with the gospel. I now know that I have to go before God with my own sins, with my own issues and things, and I have to deal with them. And, you know, but today you look at normal society and young people are saying, well, he made me do it, or slavery 240 years ago is what made me into this position, or they start blaming the boogeymans and and if we don't take responsibility for the actions that we have, It'll never change. And again, that's the reason for the gospel. And if you didn't know, um, this is a charter. I I have these all in pictures on my laptop, so I wish you guys could see them. But there was a charter done in 1607 uh, in the town of Jamestown. It's not known as Virginia. It's the state of Virginia now. And this is what part of that document said. It said, We greatly commending and graciously accepting their desires for the furtherance of so noble work, which may by the providence of Almighty God hereafter tend to the glory of His divine majesty in propagating of the Christian religion. So the whole purpose they came in 1607 was to propagate the Christian religion and uh, the, the glory of his divine majesty, right? Here's the Mayflower Compact. I'm going to go through these kind of quickly in 1620. Um, this is one of the paragraphs of the Mayflower Compact. It said, in the name of God, amen, we whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign, Lord King James, by the grace of God of England, France, and Ireland, King, defender of the faith and having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith, right? So the purpose of coming in Plymouth was to advance the Christian faith, Um, the fundamental orders of Connecticut. This was in 1639. Um, This was the first constitution ever written on these lands. And did you know that they took that constitution from a sermon by Reverend Thomas Hooker? And these, these things are never known to the young people. Like they, they wrote an entire constitution from a sermon by Reverend Thomas Hooker. And uh, the, 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 the title of the sermon was the foundation of the authority is laid in the free consent of the people. And again, this is, this is something that, um, I'm not going to read this because that's pretty long. The Portsmouth Compact of 1638, uh, it says, We submit our persons, lives, and estates unto the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and to all those perfect and absolute laws of us of his given us in his holy word. Now, the reason I talk about this is because the gospel um, played a major role in the foundation of America. I should say God. But I have a picture here of Reverend Jacob Duchesne in 1774 kneeling down in prayer. So this was the, one of the first... Uh, congresses that ever adjourned, or like it was a, the delineation of should we be independent or not. And this man here, Reverend Jacob Duchesne, it's a very famous picture if you guys have never seen it before. Um, when he started reading Psalm 35, John Adams said this, he said, I never saw a greater effect on an audience. It seemed as if heaven ordained that psalm to be read on that morning. And then he said that Reverend Duchesne broke out an extempore prayer, an extempore meaning just off the cuff. He just started praying, and he prayed for over two hours. And I got to ask everybody listening, when's the last time we took two hours of prayer for anything? Our family, our nation, our own situation, our children, those kind of things. And it convicts me more and more every day, like, boy, these people knew the the power of prayer. Benjamin Franklin, a lot of people quote him as as a deist. He was the one at the last constitutional convention before they signed the Constitution that said, you know, we used to meet for the Declaration of Independence before we were delineating independence. He said we used to pray every morning in the chambers, and God graciously heard us. We have not done that here, basically. He said. He said, "Can an empire rise without His aid, when He knows even when sparrows fall to the ground?" And so they prayed, and they they basically signed the Constitution two weeks later. So, um, wh- why I'm saying all this is because the the, the gospel um, is so important that it changes the inner man for for me to want. To obey laws for me to want to have a better society uh, any person that knows himself when you become to christ my, my 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 thinking is what can i do for my fellow neighbor because the bible says to love your neighbors yourself but it takes a step further than that it says love your enemies and if you notice today you ever look on the news where the people who are aren't christian or whatever like that they they always yell like if you're a christian they always say you're a bigot or you're a hater or a homophobe and all these things and you hate me you hate me you hate me and it's like no not at all, actually. I love you to the truth. And and that's the duty that Jesus told us to it. And if there are people who hate you and they're Christians, they're probably not Christian. You know, the fruit shows. If I look at an orange tree and it's producing lemons, it's probably not an orange tree. Now I could call myself an orange tree, I can call it an orange tree all I want, but those lemons are the fruit of that tree. So it doesn't matter what I call it, it matters what the fruit is. Right. And it's the same thing in Christianity. And I hope that this that that's what comes through uh, in, in in this in this Semi sort of message. So um, I'm going through this as, as quick as I can here because, oh, there it is. Our second president, John Adams, once said, We have no power capable of contending with men's passions, unbridled by religion and morality. He said, We don't even have a government strong enough to handle men's sins because they're so strong. And here's what he said He said, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and a religious people, it's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. He said that our Constitution couldn't even work if we weren't moral or religious. In other words, Christians.
0: Wow. Interesting.
1: that that's what gets me all the time. Christianity is what can transform us. But I fear that's the one thing that we don't want to do is become Christians. (laughs) So go ahead. You can do Exactly.
0: We appreciate your tuning in. You're listening to God's Story on WGNZ with Chaplain Lynn speaking with Massey Campos. If you want information, you can email me at chaplainlinradio at gmail.com.
1: Awesome. So, let's continue. Um, this is great. I want to ask everybody out there, if you're listening to this, Most you hear a lot today from the political pundits and, and, and people who are in the media, you know, religion wasn't important to the founders, separation of church and state. Well, have you ever read the Bill of Rights when the First Amendment says that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting its free exercise? Mm-hmm. Now, the first question I always ask is, if religion wasn't important to the founders, why was it the first thing that they wrote to be protected? It was so important to them. It was so important to them that you could practice your religion freely, that they had a voice that people could actually worship the Lord in their conscience, that they didn't have to bow to a king and say, well, the king tells us how to worship. That's kind of what was happening at the time. There was an Anglican king, that's what you served. There was a Catholic king, that's the religion that the whole nation served. They wanted us to be free from that and be able to, to... to have uh, freedom. And did you know, I'm going to talk about the role of the gospel in early education, that there's over 300,000, currently there's over 300,000 Protestant pulpits in America that go out and supposedly preach the gospel and all these things. Did you know though that there's only 29,000, over 29,500 7th through 12th grade high schools in America?
0: Wow. Interesting. So the
1: church outnumbers these 7th through 12th grade high schools 10 to 1. Yes. And our children are being destroyed by public education. Yes. Their faith in the Lord, uh, their faith in morality, their faith in each other. A lot of the times now young women can go get an abortion. I believe there was a couple cases in Washington state. They can literally go get an abortion without telling their parents Mm. that's surgery. That's, that's major surgery. And yet these same children couldn't get a piercing in their ears without family's consent before they're 18. But look what's happening. Look what we're allowing our children to be taught. And, and back in the day, um, uh, the first a book printed by Congress for public schools was a Bible in 1782. And uh, they had also taught this thing called the New England Primer. It's a little book. And how they even taught the ABCs is a little unique. Uh, the letter A, for example, is in Adam's fall we sinned all. Uh, B said it, heaven defined the Bible mine, and C was Christ crucified for sinners died. That's how they taught the alphabet, you know, in, in early education. Um, do you remember, have you ever watched Little House on the Prairie? Yes. Do you remember, like, this? What was the center point of the town? What was the, the, were, the church? Ab- absolutely. So, do you ever, do you remember when there was an epidemic? Well, like, when there was a sickness and a disease, they turned the church into the hospital. Or when there was like a court case happening and someone needed to be tried, they met at the church. When the women's leagues got together, they met at the church. The children that went to school, they went to the church. Uh, the church was the center point of the city. And I fear now it's just, it's the after effect of the city. It's, we go there when we can. Yes. It's not the place of refuge that it used to be. Where yes. I need to go uh, to, 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 to rid myself of my sin. And also, did you know that the Northwest Ordinance of 1787, Article 3 says, religion and morality and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind. Uh, it says schools and the means of education shall, be, shall forever be encouraged. This here is basically saying that schools need to teach religion, morality and knowledge to, for us to be happy. You know, so this was back in the day, how important the gospel was. And um, we got a little bit more time. I'm going to talk about, uh, here's here's a step further. When colleges were formed, uh, Harvard in 1636, it was founded by Puritans. This was part of their mission statement. It said that, Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. Their seal said truth for Christ and the church, Right. And then Yale, 1701. We, now, these universities today are considered very liberal, very not Christian, very left-leaning. But listen to this uh, mission statement from Yale, 1701. It says, every student shall consider the main end of his study to wit to know God in Jesus Christ and to answerably lead a godly and sober life. Here's uh, the College of William and Mary. Um, it was a seminary of ministers. I believe Thomas Jefferson went there, uh, that their mission statement said Christian faith that the Christian faith may be propagated. Uh, Princeton's founding statement, cursed is all learning that is contrary to the cross of Christ.
0: Wow. We've, we've,
1: we've, we've fallen so far away from our original teaching. Yes, we have. And the father of American education, he was Noah Webster, he said this. Um, he said, I, what did he say? In my view, the Christian religion is the most important and one of the first things which all children under a free government ought to be instructed. No truth is ever more evident in my mind that the Christian religion must be the basis of any government intended to secure the rights and privileges of a free people. Wow. Christ. Wow. Wow. This was all Christ. And they knew that Jesus is the one that can change the heart because a government can't. Yeah. You ever notice when you, um, the more you tell a kid not to do something, the more they want to what? Do it. Exactly. Because a law never changes people. You have to internally teach him why the law is so important. So when I tell him no, it actually makes sense to him. I'm telling you no because I love you and I know that you can get hurt. It's the same thing with God's law. The more I tell people not to lie, not to lie, not to lie, they're going to continue to do it because they're still blinded in their eyes. But Jesus, when he converts your heart, your heart cries out the way David's did. When he says, Lord, how I love thy law. I meditate on it day and night. Right. And that's the importance of uh, some of the importance of the gospel. Uh, I'm just going to go through a couple of these. This is um, Samuel Adams. Uh, Samuel Adams. I was in Boston recently. How much time do we have?
0: Oh, we have. We still have time. Okay.
1: I was just in Boston recently here and um, I went on this thing called the Freedom Trail. And the last two times I went on it, it was very against Christianity. The, they made it kind of a public point to really slam Christ, and 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 I never understood that. Well, we got to Samuel Adams's gravesite, and the the first time I went on this trip, the woman said, "Here's here's Samuel Adams. He was one of the greatest atheists that ever lived." Oh. And so I was kind of bummed out by that because I pulled her to the side and I said. Ma'am, did you know that on his deathbed, he said, principally and first of all, I resign my soul to the Almighty Being who gave it, and my body I commit to the dust, relying on the merits of Jesus Christ for the pardon of my sins? And you know what she told me? She said, his brand of Christianity would be considered atheism today.
0: I've never heard that. <laughs>
1: I know, it was very, Boy, com- very confusing for me. You can twist things so much. Very confusing. And, 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 but that's the product of this, this education system that we have. Whereas back in the day, it was common sense. You know, our founders said that we hold these truths to be self-evident. That word self-evident, in, basically in young people's terms is, duh. We all know that this is the truth, that God created us. All men are created equal. They didn't debate the existence of God. They knew God existed. What they debated was how much government is too much government and how much freedom for the people can, can, can exist, Right, And every one of them said, if we don't have Christ, we won't have a nation because that's what keeps us free. It keeps us moral people. It keeps us to watch out for our neighbor, you know, instead of a police force or all these other things, external forces trying to rule us. G.K. Chesterton, an old preacher once said that if we will not submit to God's 10 commandments, we will eventually submit to man's 10,000.
0: Oh my goodness. And isn't it true? Yes, like, yes.
1: The the fact that we have to like have seatbelt laws, Right. I should be able to be free to choose that, but because people don't pay attention on the roads because of all these things and all these accidents, we need people to tell us what to do. You know, and it's so ridiculous. Uh, you know, th- we need texting laws now. I mean, sh- you know, all these things that, that are that are out there. Um, th- there's so many laws that are so useless. Like uh, last year, I think they passed this thing called the the VA Accountability Act, for to to make sure that the veterans uh, the, 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 the veterans of America are they're, they're held accountable. That organization. And I'm thinking to myself, shouldn't they already be accountable? Isn't that the right thing to do? But we needed a law to be passed for them to be accountable. And so it's ridiculous, you know, that that if we don't, basically we don't submit to God. We'll submit to an outside force we already have, you know. And that's what uh, that's what I'm I'm trying to say. Um, Charles Finney wrote a sermon, and I believe it was in 1870 or 1845. Don't quote me on that. But this was part of his sermon, and this is going to sting a little bit, and I don't mean it to, but it's it's the truth, and. The reason why I I quote this deal is because it puts the responsibility back on me, right? So he said this, If there's a decay of conscience, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the public press lacks moral discernment, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the church is degenerate and worldly, the pulpit's responsible for it. If the world loses interest in Christianity, the pulpit is responsible for it. If Satan rules in the halls of our legislation— the pulpit is responsible for it. He said, if our politics become so corrupt that the very foundations of our government are ready to fall away, the pulpit is responsible for it. Mm. You couldn't blame the government. You can't blame the world. You can't blame darkness. You can't blame, well, Jesus said it would happen or Satan is the God of this world. It doesn't matter. We've overcome the world, the Bible says. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, Jesus said. And, and I fear that we don't put enough reliance on the providence the way our founders did. In Hebrews, it talks about that through faith, they subdued nations and they stopped the mouths of lions and all these things. And if you look in scripture, you never see a majority of people winning God's battles. He always used the one or the 12 or the 300. He never used the 20,000 or the 50,000 or the hosts. You know what I mean? He, he he, he, glorified himself through people just wanting to obey him. And I fear that that's where we don't run to the Lord with anymore. We don't have that same drive anymore to run to Jesus and say, Lord, we need to have the same God that resurrected the dead we need that same God who did subdue nations who was in who was the fourth man in the fire when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't bow the knee to false gods you know where's that God again and and the more we cry out to him the way that I believe our founders did not perfect men and let me go back and say this people think that when I'm talking about this that these guys were perfect men far from it they wrote about their flaws they they knew slavery was sin you know even the ones that still supported slavery knew it was wrong you know, and, and that's what bothers me is not all the founders were slave owners. And, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Would we have done it different? Sure. You know, but the one thing that I want to get across to people out there right now is, can we name some abominations going on today that our kids in 100 years will say, you let that happen? Yes. Like abortion? Yes. I don't want my kids to say, we let this happen. We killed babies? You know, so sure, slavery happened back then. And it was a worldwide thing. Well, I can't change what happened 200 years ago, but I can certainly try to change what's happened today and, and happening. And I don't want the blood of those children on my hands or the blood of the, the, the lack of teaching on my hands. Or um, Did you know that in this country, every two and a half hours, a youth commits suicide?
0: Mm, how every, horrible.
1: Yeah, every two hours, there's a kid killing himself and there's no hope. I, that is what I consider more of an abomination, I think. In, in in God's eyes, you know, so that's kind of like why I think the gospel—and I don't think it—I know it—the gospel is that important uh, because it can not only change us as individuals, but out of that produces this want to help the poor, to feed, you know, to, to, I'm sorry, to feed the poor, to be with the fatherless and the sick and the widow, right? To to watch my neighbor's property when he's gone, and I don't need an external force; it's just me wanting to, you know, reform society. I believe all the sins that are happening in this country and. Uh, people say Christians are judgmental. Well, no, we're not. I just have the freedom to tell you that Jesus, in in Christ, there's freedom for your sin, and we don't preach enough conviction on the sin of it that people feel the pang of their sin. Amen. You know, and that's where I think that we lack uh, the the real, true gospel of Lord. There's there's sin out there, but our sin has separated us between us and the Lord, and and people. The reason why they they're still in their sin and they're they're happy about it is because I just think we pad it. We don't really speak against it much anymore. We don't talk about uh, how how evil it is, you know. Not just, and I'm not just talking about the hot button ones like the homosexual stuff, because everybody brings that one up, and I never really talk about it or address it. But what about lying? Did you know that the Bible says that a lying tongue is an abomination? To lie, yeah, is an abomination. Hands that shed innocent blood, pride, envy, boasting. These are that's those are big sins, you know. That the Lord says are an abomination just as much, you know. So I think that. We have to do more of a, our own duty and due diligence to to uh, really promote the gospel. The gospel is what changes and transforms people. And that's the only power that can change anything, really. Um, and and, and the, the, the more we get away from that, the less we're uh, dependent, the more we're dependent on man. And man is what got us into this mess. Yes. And we're, every time an election comes up, we're like, well, if we elect that person, yes. they're going to change us.
0: They'll help us.
1: No. And that, that was so dangerous to, mm-hmm. to think that. Mm-hmm. Because now we're putting our confidence in, in, in chariots. What does the Bible say? It says some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but I will trust in the name of the living God. So that's kind of my little two bit and two cents. <laughs>
0: well, amen and amen. So we're listening to this beautiful what what you're sharing is is revelation and and it's opening our eyes and giving us knowledge and but we're seeing the truth. Mm-hmm. So what would you say to the citizens out in the United States right now that are listening? What can we do now?
1: Well, the best thing to do is um, find out what the Lord has put on your heart and do it with all your heart. Some of us are, I think, are called to to like. For me, I'm called to government, not politics. I don't like politics. I believe that what's destro- that's what's destroying our churches is politics and also the government. But I really do feel impressed to talk about government and how godly government should run. I believe that's one of my mission, ministries. I'm also a pastor of a church in Florida. I pastor the young adults and and, and I'm the connections pastor as well. But You got to find your anointing and your calling. You have to find out what that is. If some of you have a passion to want to reform society, then start uh, educating yourself on the laws and make sure that in the Christian worldview, you understand those laws and go run for being mayor. I mean, take a step, leap of faith, maybe be on a city council or be on a school board and try to change that because a lot of us are afraid of what our schools are teaching our kids. The school board is a great way to get started on how can I change this? What can I do? What can my voice produce? The second thing is your calling and your trials, I think people are afraid to take up their calling because of the trials. But your trials are someone else's stepping stone for them to overcome. So don't be afraid of the trials. Be excited about what God's going to do past the trials. Like what, what's going to overcome in your life? And so find out your calling.
0: Yes, Find yes. out your
1: calling and do it with all your heart, the Bible says.
0: Amen and amen. That's very good. That's very good. What do you see for the future of our country?
1: Well, that's a that's a pretty broad statement the, the one thing i'll say is i don't know when jesus is coming back yes so that only makes me want to go preach the gospel even more amen <laughs> you know a lot of people say uh, i can't wait till jesus comes back it's like well that's kind of selfish you know um, we really need to, to, to go out there and promote the gospel. So I don't know the future of America, per se, or what's going to happen. Here's what I know, though. If I'm faithful to God, He's faithful to me.
0: Amen and amen. He's faithful to our prayers. Yes. And
1: i got to say this real quick thing, real fast. John Knox, he was a preacher in the 1400s. Mary, Queen of Scots, said of John Knox, I fear that gentleman's prayers more than all the assembled armies of Europe. And if we can be those kind of Christians where even the, the nations fear the prayers of us, that's when we'll see society change.
0: Oh, that's beautiful words. Beautiful words. Yes, it's in the secret place. There's right. power in prayer. Well, we just praise the Lord for you, Massey, coming and sharing with us. It was rich and full. And Amen. may the Lord bless you mightily um, as you continue to preach his gospel and share his word. Thank you for tuning in today to God's Story. We pray that you have been blessed. Make sure that you tune in next Wednesday at the same time, 1.30 p.m., for another edition of God's Story. If you'd like to reach God's story, you can email Radio at gmail.com. Jesus made peace through the blood of his cross to reconcile all things unto himself. Part of that all things is you and me. To reconcile is to restore to union and friendship after estrangement. God's deepest desire is to be close to you and to share his heart with you. He desires a deep, intimate relationship with you, wanting to walk and talk with you day by day. He does walk with us and talks with us through his written word, the Bible. The Bible tells God's story through the ages. God has a story that he would like to impart into your life. He loves to make himself known to his children. May your heart be open and may your eyes see God's gracious, loving hand move in your life today. Isn't it wonderful while living here on this earth that the creator of the universe who made you and me wants to be part of our lives? Jesus brought restoration of what has been stolen from us. True peace while living on this earth. John fourteen twenty seven says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. The lovely hymn written by Warren Cornell. Wonderful peace has these words. Peace, peace, wonderful peace. Coming down from the Father above, Sweep over my spirit, forever I pray, in fathomless billows of love. Thank you for tuning in today to God's Story. We pray that you have been blessed. Make sure that you tune in again next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. or Friday at 12.30 p.m. for another edition of God's Story. If you would like to hear more God's Story broadcasts, tune into YouTube or or anywhere you download your favorite podcasts. One can also listen live at WGNZ.com. To reach God's story, please email chaplinlinradio at gmail.com. Jesus made peace through the blood of his cross to reconcile all things unto himself. Part of that all things is you and me. To reconcile is to restore to union and friendship after estrangement. God's deepest desire is to be close to you and share His heart with you. He desires a deep, intimate relationship with you and wants to walk and talk with you day by day. He does walk with us and talks with us through His written word, the Bible. The Bible tells God's story through the ages. God has a story that He would like to impart into your life. He loves to make Himself known to His children. May your heart be open and may your eyes see God's gracious loving hand moving in your life today. Isn't it wonderful while living life here on this earth that the creator of the universe who made you and me wants to be part of our lives? Jesus brought restoration of what has been stolen from us, true peace while living on this earth. John 14:27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. The lovely hymn written by Warren Cornell, Wonderful Peace, has these words. Peace, peace, wonderful peace, coming down from the Father above, sweep over my spirit forever, I pray, in fathomless billows of love. This is Chaplain Lynn's saying, May the wonderful peace of Jesus Christ fill you to overflowing today. May you experience the depths of His sweet love and how much God loves you.